The question in my mind is, how do you create or relaunch a highly profitable and successful six to seven figure business? With so much conflicting advice about the best ways to start and grow your business, how do you get it right the first time? I want to help entrepreneurs make a real difference and navigate the messy world of startup or relaunch. My name is John North, and this is the Startup Secrets for Entrepreneurs show. Join me today when we dig deep with our guests and get you the best blueprint so you can fast track your own business. This episode is sponsored by Volpreneur.app, your all-in-one online business system. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes at StartupSecrets.show right now. So let's get into the day's episode. Welcome to the Startup Secrets Show. I'm your host, John North, and my very special guest today is Michael Lapps from Yogurt Digital. So welcome, Michael, to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Great to be here. Cool. And so um, we had a bit of a chat about what we're going to have a chat today about. And <laughs> and basically, yeah, my understanding is you run a digital agency. You've got a lot of um, fairly high sort of well-known clients, like ANZ, P&O, Cruises, those type of people, plus also a breadth of other sorts of clients, obviously, you know, up-and-coming clients and stuff like that. Um, so how did you get into the digital marketing gig? Most people, including me, got in it by mistake. Like It's almost like you got forced into it somehow along the way. Uh, that is actually 100% what happened. Uh, it, was, it was not deliberate. It was accidental, and I was forced into it. Um, I, when, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a creative. Uh, so I actually wanted to work in, uh, as like a creative director at an advertising agency, which is you know, a far cry from the data-driven approach of, of digital marketing. Um, and, you know, I always wanted to be the person creating the ads that you see on TV today. Um, but that was around the time of the 2008 uh, global financial crisis. Uh, and at that time, I was interning uh, at an agency uh, called James Walter Thompson, JWT. Um, and uh, it, there was just, there was no, they were not taking other people on at that time. It was a very difficult time in the advertising uh, mm-hmm. sector. Everybody cuts the guy profits, who cuts the, everybody in, in sort of things like that. They always cut their money. Like they weren't spending money. Advertising yeah. hundred percent. Marketing is usually the first thing to be cut when things get hard, <laughs> which is, you know, I, I get that. Um, you know, everyone's got to cut from somewhere. Um, but there was a guy who worked there called Daniel King and he kind of took me, he worked in their one or two man digital team because digital wasn't as big a thing back then. Mm. And he, uh, he was my first exposure to digital marketing and I found it really interesting. Then after that, I was kind of looking for different work and advertising industry was hard. Um, and so I landed a job at a below the line agency, which, uh, I didn't, I didn't enjoy the, that type of marketing, um, and that actually then forced me into digital eventually i kind of looked at it and went well i can't do advertising i don't want to do below the line Mm. um and uh i found digital interesting enough to kind of say you know what i think that that's where the whole industry is going so i'm just i'm going to do that i'm going to roll with the punches Mm. and that's how i ended up in digital i applied for a role uh, up here in sydney um i'm originally from melbourne and yeah like moved up two months later landed Mm. the job and have been in sydney for the last decade and it's almost like it's been a whirlwind ever since. Like it's almost with digital marketing, it's, there's never something else coming around that's suddenly changing the market, and it's such an evolving kind of beast that's very hard to kind of to master and think you, you've got it figured out. Sometimes I reckon there's 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 no such thing. Uh, mm. I know that like some people want to call themselves like you know uh, masters or you know any gurus or anything like that, but I think that 
the the hardest thing about digital marketing is that every single day is different, but it's also the most exciting thing mm. because you've got new technologies, you've got uh, new opportunities for development, new services, new strategies, new tactics, like all that type of stuff. Um, I, I think it's just, it's impossible to be an expert is probably the, you know, uh, you can know a lot of things, but mm. to leave, uh, to get to that level of, of knowledge is, is almost impossible because it's constantly shifting and changing. Mm. Um, you know, we, we like to think that we're uh, a pretty smart bunch, um, but, you know, we, we pride ourselves on the fact that uh, we, we're comfortable with the fact that we don't know everything and that keeps us really hungry. I think, um, so, I think yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's important to make sure to, to think that you're still, you know, you still got to learn stuff because I think as soon as you start deleting your own BS, I think that's when you get in trouble. <laughs> I, think, I remember, I remember when I was, um, I was in a former life, I was running a canning software company, and, and my MIB started up, and they were they were spending all this money on marketing, and then the GST yeah. changed, and they had this huge upswell of customers, and they started they started to believe their own BS because they thought they were going to get that many most customers again for some reason. It's almost like they got some uni students in to do some estimates or something, and then they basically <laughs> they said, "Oh, we're going to spend another couple hundred thousand users," and they never did because they sucked everything out of the market. So they started to believe that they, you know, that their business wouldn't stop when they didn't realise actually there's there's lack of customers. You get to a point where in a small country you've only got so many you know customers, and I think people yeah. forget that in marketing. They they kind of think, "Oh, this is the big world, seven million people." But the reality is, if you don't niche down on the right sort of customer, then there's not as many of them as you think there are. Um, yeah. Unless you've got a big brand like, like you know, like Uber or something like that, where you basically everybody's your customer. And most people don't have that ability. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. And you know, we're we're certainly not a churn and burn agency, so we you know we we know the types of clients that we like to work with, and um, and so we're we're not willing to just work with absolutely everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's important. You're right. That, that kind of limits your, your overall customer base. Um, but you know, uh, even beyond that, yeah, just understanding that it's an ever evolving space just really keeps us on our toes in general, which, which we absolutely love. I think it's a good idea. So, um, let's talk a little bit about change essentially, because one of the things that has happened and you know, like you've got Apple suddenly deciding to sort of cut Facebook off in terms of marketing. <laughs> and um, I've had discussion with Facebook managers and stuff and they've sort of from Facebook and they've basically said to me, look, you know, I think you just go back to, you know, broad targeting, you'll be cool, right? Because they really have kind of like completely knocked them around. And that's a big shift really when you think about it because before you could target people and, and almost track what's going on. Mm. Now you've got, even my TV app now comes up and says allow to track or not. That's and right. so you start. People start getting more aware of privacy and more aware of what's being tracked. And I mean, my sister said to me the other day, "Oh, you know, I was I was talking on the phone. I was talking to someone with the phone beside me, and I, and then suddenly I got an ad about what I was talking about." And I said, "And no one will tell me that it's true that they run out." I said, "Yeah, they're listening to you for sure." Like <laughs> you know, like. And so I think the the biggest problem is now people start getting paranoid about what's going on, starting to turn off their 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 targeting. Which in some respects yep. is a bad idea because then you're just going to get targeted for pregnant women if you're a man, you know, like the stuff that's going to happen that, you, you know, so I think there's like a two-way street. But what, what is, what's the, you know, the last couple of uh, big things, changes you see on the horizon for, for marketers outside the fact that I think they're going to have to get better at marketing because they're going to get less targeted audiences and less um, less trusting audiences, I think, as well. Um, there's, a, there's a few things that could happen. Um, what actually will happen is, I guess, a, a different conversation. Mm. Um, first of all, I think you know the change to you know uh, Apple changing uh, its 
situation with Facebook is certainly one 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 big change. Um, but then another one is you know Google announcing that you know they're getting rid of third party cookies um, kind of in the next year or two is, a, is another massive change because as you pointed out, it just gives you far less targeting uh, capabilities and they're going to you know push you into other ways of tracking and targeting. I don't think that tracking and targeting will like disappear entirely. But it. Um, so just before that, tell us what a third party cookie is for the people that own it. Oh, initially. right. So it's, a third party cookie. It's a tricky subject. Like when you actually look yeah. at it, it's like, yes. there's no second party cookies that I'm aware of necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, a third party cookie would be, um, you know, uh, like I'm a, I'm a huge football fan. Uh, like I, I follow the Premier League in the UK. Um, there's a couple of websites that I visit uh, fairly regularly to get news and updates. And it always asks you, pops up saying, do you want to accept cookies from here? And what that basically means is it allows them to put a cookie on your computer that allows them to track you and then re-advertise to you. So where um, you, go, allows... right? so you go off their site, go somewhere else, and they're on a third-party site, right? That's so... correct. Yeah. So they can basically take that data and they can use it however they want in order to advertise and sell to you in the future. Kind of um, rude when you ask me about this, and it's like, can, can I just track your your life from now on? Is that okay? Yeah, correct. <laughs> I, I, I if, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if you've seen the new Apple ads. They're very yeah, yeah, clever that's around. Uh, yeah, yeah, people the, like the people following them everywhere yeah. they go. Um, yeah. they're, they're brilliant, but that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So anyway, Google saying that they're removing that is massive, but it's a, a really nice reminder to everyone that the best the best data is first party data. That means that the customer is actually just giving you that data mm. directly. And yep. for you to own that data, not through third-party websites like 100%. Google, yeah, um, because then you're reliant <laughs> on someone else for mm. uh, yeah, for all of your ongoing marketing initiatives. Mm. So a lot of companies, and especially a lot of the clients that we're working with, we have been pushing them um, to build up their own databases again. Yep. Um, and you know, a lot of companies have their own email marketing databases. They've got CRMs. Um, but they might not be as active on them. Um, they might not have strategies about growing their databases. Um, they're, they're happy to just kind of plot along as is. Mm. Um, so that's been a huge focus area for us uh, because once someone is in your database, you have their information and then you're legally allowed to use that however you want. Exactly. So if you want to use that through, you know, building an audience within Google ads or something like that, you can do that. You just won't be able to do that from within the Google platform and have Google build those audiences for you. So um, that's, uh, that's going to be a really big shift. To your point around what do, what do I think will change in terms of from a marketing lens? I think it could push marketers to be, it, it, it will open up the door for creativity again in terms of attracting people in. And you won't um, be limited people by the are... ads that Facebook wants you to do, right? They, they say, oh, we don't like this ad or we don't like this and that. You know, sometimes you get to a point where you think, well, just because you don't like it doesn't mean I can't run a thing, right? Yeah, that's that's correct. Mm. Um, but I think it it just really opens the door for people to get much more creative with their marketing strategies to try and get people into their database mm. to uh, build greater brand awareness um, to attract more customers at the top of the marketing funnel um, because they're not going to just be able to rely on audiences. They're actually going to have to start building their own within their own databases, which means you're going to have to get people into the fold. Mm. You're not going to be able to do that using the same kind of one trick pony that uh, you may have been using previously. So I think it, it reopens the door for creativity in the marketing space, which I'm personally really excited about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I think beyond that, 
marketers are going to have to spend a lot more time understanding who their customer is because they're going to have, at least initially, perhaps less targeting capability. But over time, cookies are just going to be replaced by something else. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way that the, like these companies who are publicly listed, like Facebook and Google and Apple and all the rest of it, they make money off this stuff. Absolutely. They're publicly they traded companies. They have they yeah. owe the shareholders much more than they owe their, uh, <laughs> yeah. and consumers. Um, mm. And so they're, they're the not money, going right? to shoot themselves. To people, yeah, exactly. Follow the money. Figure out where the money is and then you'll know what's going on. <laughs> That's 100% correct. So they're, uh, they're always gonna they're never gonna shoot themselves in the foot entirely when it comes to revenue mm. and i think the thing too is you've got a situation where um it, it's almost like they're pulling the the ladder up behind them because what's happening is they're siloing their data so it's almost like facebook's now saying well you know we can't you know well, apple's saying we're going to silo our data we're going to and they're going to start creating their own independent data not sharing with anybody else so it's almost like they've gone from sharing to to like being all separated and I think that's going to probably start a bit of a war I've mentioned on because even that you know Apple starting advertising I've noticed some advertising stuff now for Apple so I think they're they all want to be each other so they're all just trying to play the game of let's see if I can get the biggest database and then leverage that and so I think it's going to be like a, a next war level like I think we've got the social media wars I think now you've got the data wars <laughs> coming up this. yeah 100% and you can see that these companies they're moving into other areas like apple is now moving into payments Mm. right so they're doing their own buy now pay later product they're going to move into their own credit card products they're basically moving into the financial space on top of developing products i don't think i want to be honest i think banks would be one got to be worried everybody's chasing after them now right everybody wants 100 percent. yeah (laughs) absolutely after pays you know trying to trying to be a bank Mm. um and so you've You've got Apple kind of moving into payments. You've got Facebook moving into kind of the search engine marketplace space as well, competing with like the Ebays of the world and the Googles of the world. They're all running their own advertising. They're all collecting their own data and how they want to use it. They're all kind of building, as you correctly pointed out, kind of those like closed loop ecosystems Mm. where you can't really get out of it. Mm. Um, And so they're all going to be developing. So yeah, I think that you are seeing, we're seeing a very interesting race of titans Mm. um, who are all trying to diversify, but not into the same areas. Although Facebook is definitely going into payments as well, especially through crypto. So the diversification is going to be massive. And where these companies started is not where they're going to finish. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the, the interesting thing about it is that what I've noticed is when, they, when these companies first get into these gigs, they get very friendly and, and very easy to get on with. And then as time goes on, they get harder and harder. And so I think that's what's going to happen. You know, like suddenly they're all, you know, all roses and, you know, like want to go on a date and then suddenly next time they don't want to see you ever again. <laughs> so I was like, you know, and I was like, so take advantage of, I reckon, if they, when they're friendly, but expect that they're not going to necessarily be friendly forever, I think. Totally. If you remember, do you remember Google's tagline when they first started the company? You know, what their motto was? <laughs> yeah, don't be evil. Yeah. Um, that, that was it. I haven't heard them say that. They anytime. took it away. They actually like, yeah, they, yeah. They, that, that, that They very quietly pushed that off to the side and never spoke of it ever again. But, you know, for us, uh, I wouldn't say that I was an early stage digital marketer, but I've been around in the industry for long enough to know that that's where it all started. Mm. Um, and you know, for that to not really be a, a public thing anymore is, uh, I, I think that I think that it's very telling. Um, the other thing I find interesting with Google, and I think they're probably the most failed company in the world, I reckon, outside Amazon possibly, because when you go to Google's uh, projects, they've actually sunsetted. There's hundreds and hundreds of them. And so my son looked up this thing the other day, and there's a list of all the projects that Google ever sunsetted, and there's just so many of them. And you think to yourself, 
these guys are experimenting. They're not failing. And this is the thing that I think with a lot of um, entrepreneurs and they talk about failure, I tried this and it failed. But it's all about what you learn about it. So it's almost like Google has this attitude that they don't care if they fail. They want to try something. If they crack something, they're playing the numbers game. They're cracking something. They think, oh, if we crack this. And I mean, what do they say? Like Google Plus was an absolute failure with 600 million users. Like what small business operator wouldn't want 600 million users? That's an failure. Let's kick that to the curb. Like we're not going to do that anymore. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, the whole Silicon Valley motto is, you know, move fast and break things. Right? Mm. That's That's been their motto for years. That's mm. been their approach. And you're right. The thing is that when Google strikes gold on something, it's like you're talking about hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, yeah. you know, the second that they strike gold on something. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, for them to sunset 300 projects and then land 10 really big ones, they're fine. Like yeah. those other projects were well and worth, uh, well and truly worth the failure and the investment in order to learn the lessons to make it to to the big time. Mm. Um, even if you look at uh, Google systems, right? They've got Google Analytics. Yeah. Google Analytics for anyone that's ever logged into it is a quite a like good looking, pretty functional system. Mm. But Google didn't build it; they bought it mm. and then they rebranded it. And so that's why it works so well. But if you look at the Google ads platform, it's it a is a dog's breakfast. It is so poor in there. It has really great functionality, yeah. but the UX and UI is use. horrific. But they built it in-house, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, so they got no idea about user interface. <laughs> no, uh, there was actually a really famous article um, a while ago uh, from a one of the engineers at Google. Um, Oh, I think it actually might have been a designer. I can't remember now. This was a long time ago. I'm talking about probably seven, eight years. Mm. Um, and this designer wrote an article saying, I'm quitting Google because I'm spending more time arguing over one or two pixels, <laughs> right? And we're sitting in these rooms arguing over these one or two pixels. And I actually just can't do it. Like, this is not why I got into design. I got into design for like the bigger picture thinking and we're having arguments over these tiny things. Mm. And then Google responded with also a publicly written letter <laughs> okay. saying, here's why we do this. And they spoke about um, in the ad section, again, old, old mm. times where the ads were more prominent. Mm. They were trying to select which blue they wanted to use. <laughs> and so they were arguing over which color blue. And so they A-B tested it. And the one that they landed on when they A-B tested it, the amount of money that they made from that one test, the uplift yep. Yep. in click-through was so phenomenal that they basically turned around and said, this is why we test. This is why we debate these things mm. because the money that's on the line is billions. Money's in the colors, yeah. I mean, Facebook, I think my understanding is because Zuckerberg's colorblind, that's why it's blue. Oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I did not know that. That's yeah, so apparently he's colorblind. I don't know how severely colorblind, but apparently one of the blues is the color he can see. So he basically made it blue. Ah. <laughs> he probably doesn't well, even know what color it is. He probably thinks it's green. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite funny when you talk about colorblind people because I've, you know, I've had emails with a client who's colorblind. He's a cardiologist, and I send these emails. And I go, "What color should I put this in?" I wonder. I wonder if you could actually even tell if I've changed the color or not. <laughs> <laughs> so well, it's quite funny. So um, I guess it's interesting when you talk about this whole. Um, I think it's getting back to basics thing because part of the thing is we've developed was an developer.app platform designed around this concept of owning your own stuff, owning your own piece of real estate um, and owning your customer base. And I think that the challenge is it's, it's rent versus buy or own. 
And I think that's the problem in the marketplace. They, they were renting all this space and then suddenly they realised that you can be taken away from any time you like. And I think owning your own stuff, owning your own space, I learned that in a very important lesson way back probably about 10 years ago when it cost me a million dollars to find out um, that if you don't own your own stuff, that then anybody can just come take it. And, yeah. and they decided to come take it. <laughs> and it's actually my startup story, but basically, yeah, like seven-year war trying to trying to keep something I didn't even own, which is which when you think about it, when you look back on it, you think, what a crazy thing were you doing there? What were you trying to do? How do you even going to win, trying to win something you didn't even own? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting, you know, the, the owned versus earned space on mm. Google, right? Ads versus organic. Um, and I, I actually... For every year that I've been in digital marketing, I've read an article saying that SEO is dead. Yeah. Um, and it's not. It's still very Well, email's not. dead too. Did you know that? That email's yeah, dead? Yeah, yeah, correct. Oh, I wish I wish email was dead. I wish I didn't have to open my inbox anymore. Um, uh, I think the, uh, the interesting thing about like the SEO space, you know, own versus earned and really wanting to rank well organically is that SEO is not dead but I would say that it's weakened mm. um, because again, talking about Google as a, a public listed company, they make 95% plus of their revenue from Google ads. So they are never going to equally weight their organic listings there when mm. they don't make any money from them. You're back to following them. And <laughs> exactly. And so Bing is just so far behind that, it's going to be hard to take Google down. They're probably going to have to implode to some degree. Um, but Google ads is just taking up more and more and more real estate. You know, first it was like all at the top and down the side. Then they moved it all to the left and pushed it down. Then they make the ads bigger and bigger and bigger. Then they blend them in so you can't differentiate them from organic listings. Yeah. Then they add in maps underneath that. And all of a sudden where you used to rank first organically, you're now at the very bottom of the first page after a couple of scrolls. Yeah, uh, and okay. you know, ads make up the the primary, the primary listings. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that you know more and more companies are going to have to invest in the uh, earned, uh, like uh, owned, earned or paid. Mm. Right, they're, they're going to have to they're going to have to pay for it. They're going to have to pay for traffic. They're not going to ever be able to fully own kind of the the customer in that regard because more brands are being pushed into Google ads because they cannot compete on SEO. Yeah. Um, the the bigger companies are spending more on it just for those kind of the three spots that are actually organic on the first page. <laughs> yeah. uh, and everyone Bad else one, is bidding. Yeah. Mm. And I think that the challenge there is that, you know, you've got a situation where probably in only recent times the big um, companies have even figured out social media or even figured out um, AdWords as such, like they've been able to sort of go through the traditional marketing of running the traditional print ads and now they've kind of cottoned on to the idea and I think I read somewhere where Zuckerberg said that his whole game plan was to attract the big guys by attracting the little guys because eventually the wealth of the little guys would actually make draw attention to the big guys, they need to pay attention to this and then these big marketing campaigns come in and they start spending big dollars with them and slightly but sure they're less being nice to little guys, um, which I've noticed in the last couple of years is they get nastier and nastier with the little guys because I have to deal with them. And so I think that's what's happening. And so like they're trying to attract these big marketers because they spend a lot of money and they actually don't care necessarily whether they get a result. Whereas the little guys are saying, I have to get an earnings on revenue, I have to do this. And those big guys say, so we're going to spend, a, a, you've got this $100 million to spend on marketing, we'll just spend it. 
and yep. no one, no, there's no one sitting there going, well, hang on a minute, we have to get a result here. No, no, no one's really focused on that. They're focused on their brand and they're thinking at a different level. And I think that's going to be interesting when the little guy gets to the point where they can't afford the advertising. They're going to have to have had something in the backstop. Otherwise, they're doomed because they're not going to be able to just buy their way in without a lot of money. Control your destiny and create a complete business system for your online business. Evolvepreneur.app offers an easy and cost-effective way to build your online business by helping you avoid the pain and stress of implementing multiple systems, giving you the freedom to automate and scale. Support our sponsor by grabbing a free copy of Startup Secrets for Entrepreneurs at Evolvepreneur.app. Yeah, I, it's interesting that you say that. I spoke to a, a friend of mine who lives in the US and runs a startup, um, and uh, I won't name names, um, don't want to give away trade secrets, but uh, he said something really interesting. He's in a very competitive space, um, and he was trying to attract customers through Google Ads and Facebook Ads, um, and it, it was like quite targeted as they moved into different cities. And what he found is the most effective way to get a customer was through a letterbox drop. <laughs> and so he's because now he gets a mail spread. anymore really like they don't get a lot of mail that's actually real that, that's bills? exactly what he was saying he yeah. they go into a small town and they basically go all right cool we're going to spend twenty thirty thousand dollars on a letterbox drop we're going to go into like the the suburbs that we really want to take over and we're just going to put it into their mail because they're so they're getting uh so much less mail these days mm. that we're actually getting more cut through and our cost per letter is so low to mm. get in front of someone new that we're attracting significantly more customers at way less cost than using digital methods. And I was like, sorry, I just want to confirm this. When you go out for investment, you're going to tell them that your strategy is letterbox drops. <laughs> and he goes, not only am I going to tell them that that is our strategy, but they're going to love it because they're going to look at the cost of acquisition and it's going to blow their minds. They're going to tell all of their other investments to go and start doing letterbox drops. You should shut up actually, because what's going to happen is everybody's going to do it and stuff him up in the end. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I just, I thought it was brilliant. Uh, and it comes back to, you know, people went, all right, well, things are getting more expensive. I'm going to have less tracking and, you know, it's going to be harder to build audiences and get really targeted. Mm. So I'm going to go back to basics. I'm going to do something really creative and I'm going to get direct to the customer that I want. And I'm just going to do it this way because it's cheaper. And why not do that? And it's targeted when you think about it, out right? Because there's no wastage, yeah. right? You, the, the mail will go where it's supposed to go, ultimately, unless I drop it in the bin on the way past. But the thing is that the mail will go in the right place. So it's almost like a much much more targeted, assured that you're going to land somewhere as opposed to an ad that you don't really know where it's going to go. Yep. Um, yeah. And I think um, the thing about it is, too, you're ultimately going to have this kind of tactile feel. Because I saw, I watched a, a futurist speak a few years ago, and he, he said oh, something yeah. very interesting. He said, if you're a high-touch business, you need to also go low-touch. If you're a low touch business, you need to go high touch. And so when I look at it, it's almost like you, you, if you're a technical sort of social media business where you don't have any touch at all because there's nothing they can see or touch, sending a mail drop is suddenly now you become tactile. Mm. And I think that's the, the secret is that if you're doing one way, don't go completely one way. <laughs> you know, have, have a backstop in terms of, you know, can you, can you send them something in the mail? Can you somehow touch them and, you know, not inappropriately? But, you know, like in that situation, right? and I think that's the interesting mix that people kind of forget they almost they must grab on something and then go that's completely the, the direction and don't make it real else. yeah yeah so yeah I, I think that there's lots of companies that are out there that are going to start doing like some really interesting things um as they realize that 
with more and more people bidding on Google ads, the cost per click is going to continue to skyrocket. Mm-hmm. And, you know, year on year, we're seeing 10 to 15% increases in cost per click, which means every single year you have to up your budget by 10 to 15% just to get the same result that you did last year. Yeah. Um, it's like a gambling game, isn't it? <laughs> 100%. But what that actually fundamentally means is that for those that don't have deep pockets for smaller businesses, particularly in Australia, who've been hit very hard mm. uh, during the pandemic, yeah, they don't have that kind of money to just be throwing around. So mm-hmm. it's going to create more and more of a gap between the companies that can afford and the companies that cannot. Um, and the companies that cannot are going to have to find other channels mm-hmm. because as Google becomes more and more prominent and as ads take up more of the real estate, that cost per click is only going to go up and get more competitive. Um, and I think that could be Google's fatal flaw in the end. Mm. Um, is that because it's a competition-based market, they're going to start pricing people out mm. and they're going to have to find other uh, other ways of doing that. And that might be Bing or it might be other traditional marketing methods, but it's not sustainable forever. No, Although I'm sure that, I'm sure <laughs> that people at Google are working on that. Yeah, well, they'll just build Google Cars or something in the meantime. So I think they've got so many, <laughs> so many pies yeah. and they've probably got moved on with that anyway. So right. let's do, touch on a little bit about automation because it's quite interesting. It's got a major discovery and it's, it's so obvious and it's the guy tells you when it's obvious, but it's not obvious at the time when you're doing it. Mm. And that um, a lot of these people build websites and the idea is to automate the sale and not have in and i saw something like a facebook group i was looking the other day and was asking for business problems and somebody says oh you know automate sales more so i can make more get more customers or whatever like get more customers and what we realized was that when we're selling this membership product what we actually did to actually start selling it was the human interaction of that so we'd say automate the front end and as soon as it became a prospect someone real actually spoke to them and that's by email whatever and we found our actual conversion rates went up again now because suddenly they're not being automated into a sale and most people wouldn't have wise enough to know that they're being automated. Um, and, and it started working because we were actually having that interaction backwards and forwards and actually handling the proper sales process you do when someone wants to buy something, right? Going yep. through the phase of that process. And almost like people have forgotten about that. And it's like, oh, we'll just, you know, you know, send a targeted ad, get their email address, and then they'll buy off the screen and that'll be it. You know, we don't have to do anything else. And people don't necessarily buy that way anyway, but that's what, you know, volume will help you. But Yeah, I think uh, I think automation has a place. Um, I think it also depends on the company and what you're doing. Service-based businesses versus, for example, e-commerce businesses. Mm. If you're an e-commerce business, you absolutely want as much automation as possible because you are working on a volume game. And if someone yes. wants to buy a white dress or a blue T-shirt, you can't speak to every single customer individually right especially if they're coming to your website they're usually prepared to buy online um, and that's why yeah <laughs> go very fast with stuff <laughs> yeah and, and that's yeah. why there's so many pure play e-commerce businesses that no longer have a bricks and mortar or a retail presence because mm. they understand that that's actually no longer a requirement and it's an overhead that they don't need mm. um and then there's other businesses uh like the katmandus of the world that where you do exactly what you said you need the tactile mm. experience because people are buying stuff for adventure so they I can't believe people pay that amount of money for that stuff, even though it stops even in mind, I've got to tell you. <laughs> they are they are doing a, a bang up job, I can tell you. I, I own some shares in Kathmandu and oh, that was a good investment <laughs> at the start of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the 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 idea there is, you know, understanding that even within the e-commerce space, sometimes you need bricks and mortar, sometimes you don't, and there's only so much you can automate. I agree with you in principle that uh, if you're a service-based business, having the human touch is still really valuable. 
Mm. Um, because personally, I subscribe to, I want to buy from people. Yep. Um, and uh, where possible, some like speaking to someone who really gets me, could really get me across the line. Yeah. Um, and that's, there's a benefit to that. But then there's other things like I don't want to wait 45 minutes on the phone to speak to the insurance company. I just want to do it all online. Like it is bizarre when you find that some of these companies will like GoDaddy is a great example, right? It frustrates the hell out of me because <laughs> GoDaddy, you cannot actually email them for support. You got to call them. Now that's it. Now you can't actually get any contact outside calling them. And, yeah, right. And when I Google it, the people complain about being in the hole for two hours. And it's like, what what are you trying to do? Most of these things you solve, it's like you just don't want to handle support tickets. You want someone to talk rubbish on the phone for half an hour trying to explain their problem to someone. Yeah. Like To me, it's beggar's belief that an IT company would force everybody to call them. But <laughs> probably know that no one will, <laughs> right? And so it's almost like, and to me, it's like it's a bad idea. And then I actually tried to transfer away from the other day and found out that they actually generate incorrect codes so that they have to actually, you have to call them to get the right codes. So it's almost like you're trying to do the wrong thing by automating something and then you're trying to go high touch for stuff that's not relevant to the, what you need the customer wants. He doesn't want to be calling you for a simple little thing. He just wants someone to fix it. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, businesses have to find ways of building efficiencies, but they have to build efficiencies in the right areas. Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's where a lot of companies go wrong is they, they start focusing on, oh, well, why don't we automate the part of the process that is actually most important to converting the customer? Um, and traditionally, that has been done manually, and that's worked very well. Um, instead of saying, well, what about all these smaller processes that happen exactly like what you said on the front end that we actually don't need to do? We don't have to take the customer through this, and it'll save us possibly hundreds of hours a month. Yep. Um, see, I look at that and go, we can be doing better. Mm. Um, and so we work with, with some of our clients on, on that kind of automation and go, uh, this, this part, like, d don't do this anymore. Mm. Let's find a system or a tool that will do that for you. But this part, keep that because what your customers are telling us is that this is really valuable to them and it's why they want to engage with you. It's, it's your, it's your selling point. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is that understanding that whole customer journey, I think that's what something we spoke to clients about is like you need to make sure that you think about that customer journey from where they start, where they finish and where they go to to make sure you don't have any gaps in it and going to a website with absolutely zero support um, that you're trying to sell something to me is crazy talk because you've got to provide some mechanism to talk to people um, unless you're Facebook and get away with it or Microsoft because that's like those guys, you're very hard to get hold of anyone <laughs> you're paying, right? And, and they managed to do it, but very few companies, I think, can be in that position. They can turn around and say, look, I can't afford not to talk to my customer and not put a mechanism in place to somehow service that customer, whether it be automated or not. But I think it's just, but you see it so much. I don't know whether you do, but I see a lot of websites where you go to, there's absolutely no way to contact them. Yeah, yeah form, and it's, it's Nobody ever tests their form on their contact button, by the way. Like, it's like the first thing in the world that annoys the hell out of me is they go to a page, you have a contact us button, and you clear out that form and no one ever answers you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's such like a it's it's that's like one on one stuff. Yeah. Um, but I usually find that like the bigger the company, the more that stuff is broken. I don't know about you, but yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I, I was talking to Eway the other day. I've sent a I filled a form out three weeks ago. I still haven't been contacted. You know, and it's like because they because their support system's broken. So what's happening yeah. is I can't go into the support page for some reason. I can't log a support ticket because I'm a customer. And, I, and the only way I do is I trumble through the emails and I find sold support email I can send it to. But the reality is their support system's broken and, and, their, and their form's obviously broken. So the lights are on, but no one's home. 
well, how much money are you losing when you're not testing that? It's almost like a, that's another thing I think people don't do. So you should test that stuff every so often. Like you shouldn't just assume yeah, it works. just make sure that it's all working uh, yeah. the way it should be, hundred percent. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think automation is is a wonderful thing. Um, I, I wrote an article on uh, Umbrella not that long ago talking about uh, what automation and artificial intelligence is going to mean for us in the future mm. uh, as like a as a working force, um, and that there's a lot of there's a lot of risks there um, and uh, an enormous amount of benefits, and it just depends where you sit in the food chain, and it depends mm. what industry you're in. Mm. Um, because I think it's going to create an enormous amount of unemployment, um, and it's going to make businesses richer and more profitable than they've ever been. Yeah. And so, uh, scary times. There is, yeah, for the unskilled or you know the unskilled people who haven't really re reskilled, they're going to be in big trouble. But even for some skilled workers, mm. um, there'll be a lot of people that get put out of jobs. You know, you and I were discussing even even before the show. What does it actually mean for the marketing community mm. if so much is being automated? Um, how is that going to work? You know, Google, more and more of the products that they're releasing are automated. Mm. Um, you know, they release like, you know, smart shopping, for example. It's a fully automated system, um, but it's all in a black box, yeah. which means you don't get to see what's actually happening there. You can't really optimize it. You, It's not hands-on. You kind of like set it up and it runs. So if Google's going to, and I'm just using them as an example, but you know that could go with any of the kind of the big tech companies. If more and more of that stuff gets automated, where do the marketers come in, right? Mm. Because we're going to be doing less of the implementation work. Mm. So the answer there is that you know marketers should really, if they want to upskill and cross-skill, it should be into strategy, understanding strategy. more of the services, mm. how it works, which channels they should be using, and when. Mm. Um, you know that type of thing is going to be really important, mm. more so than knowing how to. Uh, you know, day to day run and optimize mm. a uh, a search ads campaign, which mm. right now is valuable, but in five years might not be. It might be completely obsolete. Um, and we don't know what Google's kind of cooking up, but that's where it's all headed for them because mm. yeah, um, it, it's what it's going to allow them to make maximum amounts of cash. As well um, as the fact just... that you won't have to worry about an actual interface you can use. So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I read yeah, somewhere, I read this book. I read this book that said that essentially within the future, everybody will probably have to reskill every ten years at least, and and reskill from a major uh, thing going from say a uh, like a, a lawnmower repairman to a drone engineer. So right, it's almost like there's going to be a certain segment of the population will never be able to reskill because they just don't have the 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 background or the ability to understand you know say digital so they're, they're an analog age and they've never really done digital they're going to struggle to understand that and they're also going to need years of training to get there who's going to pay yeah. for that and so yeah. it's going to be an interesting time if you you know you think you're skilled in one area and then tomorrow your job's not obsolete um, if Uber decides that they're going to have you know automated cars and you're going to have an Uber driver suddenly the entire industry of taxi drivers is gone how many of those taxi drivers have other skills that they can actually get another job in? So it's like it's going to change yep. things dramatically. Yep, and that's uh, also where ageism comes in um, because a lot of companies are going to say, well, you're probably not the right fit to be reskilling or anything else, and they're going to look at someone's age and be like, nope, too hard basket. We're just yep. going to like bring in young people who we can train from scratch yep. who are going to demand less salary to begin with as well mm -hmm. than you know someone who's kind of more advanced in their career. And so that's going to create an issue as well for sure. Yeah. Um, that I can already see happening. So yeah, it's it's gonna. I think that there's going to be a very difficult transition period um, over probably the next five or ten years. 
um, which you know I hope doesn't happen, but also uh, I, I'm I'm like an optimistic realist. It's probably yeah, the way I, I describe there's, myself. There's opportunities in all this. Like I think the thing is, if you see what's coming, it's easier to think, okay. I won't go and, and learn this new skill I was thinking about learning because it's going to be useless in five years' time or even less. And being aware of what's going on as opposed to being caught by accident, you know, caught out by it and something like yep. I can see that coming. And, and the biggest problem is we've got so much information in the world now that no one seems to read it <laughs> or read the wrong well, stuff. Yeah, you know. yeah. Or, or you just read the stuff that uh, Facebook and, and Google keep putting to you because the algorithms say that it's something you're interested in and then you yeah, kind yeah, of live yeah. in your own yeah. little bubble. So. More of the same. You give, me more, give me more chips. Yeah. So thanks so much for coming along. It's um, we've had to run over a little bit of time, but as I said, sometimes you get carried away. So I think it was a great conversation. So it's certainly worth you know digging into. Um, so if someone wants to talk to you um, about marketing, and so who's your best customer, and how should they get in contact with you? And we'll put the links up as well on the on the on the post. Uh, so so as as an agency, we kind of specialize in three core areas. Uh, we've got SEO and content. Uh, we've got uh, paid media, which pretty much like uh, paid social, Google ads, Bing ads. Mm. Um, so anything that follows like a pay-per-click model, like paid ads. Um, and then uh, third, we have a, a UX and conversion optimization uh, team, which basically designs, builds, and optimizes websites to, to maximize uh, revenue and, uh, and inquiries. Um, and so we're kind of structured to work through the entire funnel. How do we attract more people, build your brand awareness? How do we get them interested in you? And then how do we get them to purchase? Mm. So in terms of the types of clients that we like to work with, generally speaking, our clients tend to work with us across multiples of those services. Um, they they like to work with us across digital strategy as a whole, rather than necessarily pigeonholing us into, can you just run my Facebook ads and nothing else? Mm. Um, it's not that we can't do that. It's that as an agency where we specialize in understanding your business, understanding your customer, and then building you a custom strategy for your business to execute on. Um, and that usually involves multi-service, multi-channel. So that's probably an important, an important aspect for us. Um, and then we really like to work with clients that are, um, I think, very collaborative, um, are understanding, um, and who want a genuine long-term partnership. As I said, we're not a churn and burn agency. Clients tend to stay with us for years and years. Um, and that means that people who are like very impatient and want everything done like within 24 hours and, you know, will cut and change agencies every two and three months is not a great fit for us. No. We want people who are going to come to us and be like, I'm willing to commit one, two, three plus years um, and to really give this a red hot crack um, and work towards, you know, set targets and, you know, who who are, want to invest in this partnership the same way that we do. And that's really important for us is that kind of attitude. A slow burn, basically, at the end of the day. Like, it's not instant. Well, overnight success isn't very easily overnight, so... <laughs> Yeah, what's what's the famous saying? It took me ten years to be an overnight success, right? Like, yeah. uh, and and it's not it's not that we're not going to perform for one, two, or three plus years. Mm. It's that nothing in digital happens overnight. Mm. Um, sometimes it does, and that's really lucky and that's fantastic. But generally speaking, most of it is the iterative process of optimization and making things better and taking those lessons and reapplying them so that you can get that real J curve growth. But you know, the J curve starts flattened down and then mm. it kind of accelerates from there mm. so you know you, you have to be prepared not necessarily for a drop but you have to be prepared that you know marketing is not a uh, uh 
uh, a, like a two day game. It's, yeah. uh, you know, you yeah. do like it it's not a, like it's not a strategy, right? Um, yeah. think, you know, like, and I think, um, yeah, I think it's like anything, like you have to earn it, you have to do the work. And I, I speak to a lot of clients, say, so look, you can have to do the work. There's no easy way. I think sometimes they think, oh, I'll just put ads on t- up there and it'll work. But the reality is you've got to learn your customer. You've got to get, get this right. And this takes time, particularly when you come in and most people you realize don't really know their customer well enough to be able to market to them in the first place. So Or don't know them at all. Yeah, or don't even know them at all. So, um, which is which is the thing that I was constantly asking myself all the time: What do my customer look like? What do they do in the morning? What's what really do they like? And mm. when you start asking sort of deep questions about your customer, it becomes a real deep hole of, of thought. And sometimes I think you get a bit carried away. But I think yeah, I think knowing your customer well and better is probably the best thing that can ever happen out of this process. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that absolutely. So, what's the website that they can go to to sort of engage with? Ah, uh, yes. Matter of interest. Uh, so uh, you can head over to yogurtdigital.com.au. Uh, that's yogurt with an H for those of you that are in uh, in America. So Y-O-G-H-U-I-T digital.com.au. Right. Um, and you can uh, read some of our case studies. You can take a look at our blog. You can read more about our services and you can certainly inquire with us. And uh, we'd absolutely love to have a chat with you. Cool. I reckon I should check you out. So thanks so much for coming on. And um, maybe we'll talk again next time when the next big thing comes out. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. would love to. Thank you so much for having me. That's a wrap on another awesome episode for the Startup Secret Show for Nippernors. Just before you go, if you like this episode, we'd be very grateful for a five-star review. Please also consider recommending the show to a friend or two. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes at StartupSecrets.show right now. Until next time, if you're an entrepreneur, make a start on your next great business idea today.